You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, here we go again. We have another kick-ass podcast today. I'm sure you can, uh, it's going to be high energy. Uh, I know it's going to be a high energy podcast because I, I got this good vibe in my house. Both my kids are screaming their asses off, and uh, there's a good chance you might hear them in the background during this particular podcast. So uh, thanks for being patient. Thanks for understanding. But today is an awesome podcast, and we're going to be talking with Justin Czar. And uh, if you don't know who Justin is, he is one half of the Bow Hunt or Die web show that is out there and uh, today we're just having another bs session we're going to talk about uh, kids we're going to talk about hunting we're going to talk about hunting out west bow hunting all this random different stuff and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it but before we get into today's podcast let's hear from exodus trail cameras about why they decided to start exodus uh you know the biggest thing i believe that got us to this point is just frustration, not being happy with the products that were out there on the market, wanting to see better options on the market, looking around at all the all the hype and the buzz and the endorsements that go on in this industry and wanting to see products, at least in the trail camera side of things, that we could get into um, that were built solid, that were backed with great customer service, and that would last longer than two or three years was was really the biggest thing for us. All right, if you guys want to find out more information about Exodus Trail Cameras, visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you guys do decide to make a purchase, enter the code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS. And uh, that's a discount code. And you will be able to receive $20 off of your order. So uh, make sure you do that. Now, let's get into today's podcast with Justin Czar. Justin Czar is here. I, I'm not physically there. Not I'm on physically, the phone, but I right. am here. You're, uh, you are there, and I am <laughs> here, and we're going we're gonna to do a podcast today. Um, but for those of you who don't know Justin Czar, Justin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, where you're from, what do you do for a living? Oh, yeah, that's a fun one, right? Well, the, where I'm from one is easy. I am from Illinois, born and raised. 
unfortunately in the outskirts of the Chicago suburbs, so we're often considered the enemy um, amongst the rest of the Illinois residents. But uh, yeah, from the Chicagoland area, born and raised. And what do I do for a living? That's an interesting question. I do a lot of different things. So uh, my main responsibilities, I am the general manager for two companies, ICS Solutions and the Rhino Group. We do IT consulting and website development. And then outside of that, and I guess part of the reason I'm here is I'm also the general manager for bowhunting.com. And then I co-host our online show, which is Bowhunt or Die. So I do a lot of different things to uh, keep me busy and pay the bills. Right. Yeah, I thought about having this uh, this podcast today be about your IT solutions uh, job. And- yeah, yeah, I'm sure people would love that. We can talk <laughs> servers, switches, and ransomware and all sorts of good stuff. Right. But then I thought, you know, maybe I would lose... Uh, lose some people's ninety five percent of people listening. Yes, right, right. So, first off, man, you just had a kid, right? Another one. Uh, yeah, we had our third child in uh, late October. Poor planning on my part. Uh, October twenty sixth, our third child was born. So <laughs> I got a house full of them now. Well, okay, so. I guess this is as good of time to mention it as any other time, but I'll, I'm just going to start with a backstory. All right. It was, it was my <laughs> wife. If she listens to this, she's going to kick my ass, but it was new year's Eve. And she says to me, uh, I'm not ovulating, which was a freaking lie because I have a third child. It's always a lie. Exactly. A lie. I have a third child coming with a due date of, September 28th. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, congratulations on that. So my question to you is when you found out your wife was pregnant with number three and it was with a due date of late October, what was the first thing that popped into your head? Uh, That she ruined my plans to go to Kansas (laughs) for last fall and go deer hunting. I'll tell you, this is how it happened. And this is a, this is honest to God's truth. Yeah, I was getting ready to go to work one morning, and my wife was getting ready. We have you know dual vanities or whatever in our in our in our bathroom, and she was like brushing her teeth something or something, and she had like a real tight fitting t shirt on. I kind of looked over and I was like, hmm, like I, I just caught the hint of like a little something going on, and I was like, because my wife's a very petite person, and I was like. And I did, of course, no man is going to say a word, you know, I ain't going to say anything. I don't know what's going on, whatever. And then it wasn't like the next day, I think we had put the kids to bed and we were sitting on the couch and she's like, so I have something to tell you and you're probably not going to be very happy. And I looked at her and I was like, you're pregnant. I knew it. And she's like, you did not. I'm like, oh my God. So literally the next thing out of my mouth, I was like, when was the last day of your last period? Right. And she right. told me, and I went on my phone and did the, you know, due date calculator, and it came up with, like, October 27th. And I was like, <laughs> you have got to be kidding me <laughs> right now. Like, Come on. I was like, oh, oh, boy. My plans for, uh, I had planned on going to Kansas last fall to do some deer hunting, but that didn't happen. So right. that right. has been postponed, and now I'm planning on going this fall. And there's definitely no more kids coming. Right. Yeah. I need to take that next step too. But, uh, I, and I, (laughs) when she, she had a pregnancy test in her hand 
and I knew she was going to take it, but then she says, uh, I I'm pregnant. And I'm just like, get the, get the F out of here. You know, like, <laughs> you know, you know, we're not ready for that right now. You, you know, we're not going to have a third kid. Right. I thought we agreed upon that. Or at least that's what I said. And, uh, yeah, no kidding. here comes uh number three strolling along and uh it's due september 28th and it was funny because my wife must have been able to read my face because i've been planning this elk hunt for a very long time and uh i this i haven't even i haven't told the guys that i'm going with yet because uh, i'm still well they're gonna know soon enough <laughs> right I, I i still am planning on going on this elk hunt but because because it is the first week in september but the first, the first words out of her mouth were, you know, you're not going to have to change any of your hunting time for, for, for this baby. And it was nice of her to say that, <laughs> but we all know, sure. <laughs> we all that's know that true. that's not going to happen. Right. Yes. So when this third child came, did, were you able to get out, uh, at all during the rut or like mid or late November to, to get in the timber this year? Yeah, you know what? I hunted at a halfway decent amount. I can't say it kept me out of the woods entirely. Right. But, you know, most of my hunting was limited to very close to home. I mean, like, unfortunately, with where we live, you know, I think anywhere nationwide, you know, finding a hunting spot or a good whitetail spot is almost impossible anymore. And most of my better spots are, you know, a couple hours from home. So I was kind of relegated to suburban duty which just wasn't the greatest this year (laughs) so you know but unfortunately yeah i did get out you know the one nice thing about having some spots that are close to home is i was able to sneak in a few morning hunts or some you know leave work early and sneak in a couple afternoon hunts you know here and there so i hunted a halfway decent amount not as much as as usual you know i tried to stay home on the weekends you know, maybe sleep in in the morning, help the wife with the kids, and then just do an afternoon-only type of thing. Right. So, uh, yeah, I hunted a, a decent amount, not as much as I usually do, but, yeah, I was still able to get out. So have you seen a trend? Okay, so single, you were no-holds-barred, able to hunt whenever you wanted to. Married. Oh, yeah, and I hunted all over Illinois. I mean, dude, I was down, you know, five, six hours away every weekend. Not a question. Just right whatever, sleeping in a tent, a hotel, didn't matter. I would just go and hunt. Right. Then you got married. And then did, did that yeah. affect the, the hunting at all? No, but <laughs> I got married on <laughs> September 27th right. was when I got married. And that fall, I went on a 10 day whitetail bender around Illinois. And, uh, like on October 25th, so less than a month after being married, I was like, See you later. I'm going hunting for 10 days. Right, right. <laughs> so my wife, uh, my new wife was not a big fan of that. And, and I had just gotten her a puppy when we got married, uh, <laughs> like as our wedding gift. And she's like, you're going to leave me for 10 days with this puppy that's, you know, crapping all over the house and you're going to go deer hunting. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, Welcome to being married to me. Did, uh, did you inform her right off the bat that this was just the lifestyle? I did, but, you know, my wife is from, if anyone knows this area, she's from Schaumburg, and it's very, like, uh, heavily uh, urban area, you know, huge shopping centers. And, like, she honestly had no idea that anybody within 200 miles of her, like, went out and shot deer for fun on the weekends. (laughs) Like, she just had zero idea what she was getting herself into. 
So I told her, yeah. And then the funny thing was I used to watch a lot of, you know, outdoor channel and she'd kind of watch it too. And she was always like, why is everybody whispering? You know, but she always, she was just under the impression that every time you went deer hunting, you shot a deer. So I'd, you know, get up early on a morning and and I'd come home and she'd be like, you know, did you shoot any? And I'd be like, no. Why not? I'm like, uh, because there were none close enough to shoot. I don't know. Well, I thought you just got one or two every time you went out. (laughs) Like no, unfortunately, that's not the case. Yeah, there's there's definitely an education uh, that bow hunters like you and me have to, you know, it's almost like it's a responsibility to, in a way, educate our spouses as much as they want to know or need to know, kind of a need yeah. to know basis. Because I had that, I have that same thing where the wife is like, "Well, why can't you go hunting from like eleven in the morning till like two in the afternoon? Why can't you just go then and get one?" I'm like, "Oh, sweetie, I thought we talked about this." <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced that my, right. the only reason my wife wants me to shoot a deer is not so that she'll be happy for me; it's just so that I'll stop hunting and I can be home more often. Right, right. There, there's <laughs> She's like, that. Did you too. get one? Are you done hunting yet? Right, and I and the, the cool thing about you know, again, wives like ours is they put up with a lot of shit as far as, you know, you know, white, it's not just a whitetail hunting, right? It, the season isn't October 1st to November 17th, right? It's, it's all year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It really is. I mean, shed hunting, I'm getting ready to go out to Kansas here in a couple of weeks. We're going to do some turkey hunting and some scouting then I get back from that, and, you know, and then there's trade shows mixed into all that. And oh, honey, I got to go check my trail cameras, or I got to go plant my food plots, or yeah. whatever. It's literally every weekend I'm doing something. So right. I try during the summer months as much as I can to just stay home. You know, now that my my oldest is getting old enough, I bring him with me a lot. Right. Go check right. trail cameras or do stuff. You know, to try to you know get him out and give her a little break. So wait till you have three, my friend. It is. It is a trip. How old are your two that you got right now? Let's see. Ava Ava just turned four, and Mac turns okay. two in uh, April. So they're roughly okay. going to be two years apart. Yeah, that's how mine are. So yeah. I got a, a four and a half, a two and a half, and now a four month old. So okay. yeah, it's uh, dude. Wait till you have to take them all at the same time and go to like a store. It's impossible. <laughs> it is impossible. <laughs> I, I literally one day I went to my wife, like sent me like I, she had something to do and I had to run to the grocery store. I had the baby in the carrier. He was in the grocery cart. And then I had my daughter who's two. She was sitting in the little thing where you're supposed to sit. And my son who's four was hanging on to the front of the cart. So I literally like I could fit a gallon of milk in the cart. That was it. <laughs> you know, I'm pushing these three kids around the store. It I'm takes like, longer to pack them up and get them yes. in than it does to actually go shopping. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And like I was telling you, now they're all sick. All three of them have been right. sick at the same time the last, like, three days. So it's basically my version of hell. <laughs> like, right. It's just horrible. So, so get ready, buddy. Yeah, I, uh, I'm preparing. So first kid, second kid, third kid, has the hunting time decreased every year? You know, like kid one equals X. Uh, kid two equals X minus, you know, <laughs> like there's some sort of multiplier right. you can apply right. to your hunting time. Oh uh, man. I don't know. I felt like with the first one, I hunted a lot those couple of years. Cause he was born in June and like come hunting season. Like he was pretty much sleeping through the night and one kid was easy to take care of. So I felt like 
you know, that first year season or two was just one kid. I hunted an awful lot. Yeah. I think once two and now three came, it's definitely cut it down. You know, I think mo- more so like in the longer trips, like I used to, you know, take a week's vacation and right. just, you know, go hunting somewhere for a week or go elk hunting. Or I went on a mule deer hunt a couple of years ago to Wyoming and like those types of trips are just a lot far and fewer between now it's you know if i could sneak away a three or four day weekend like that's about all my wife can handle (laughs) right right. so that's that's been probably the biggest change so because of that i want to talk real quick about you're hunting less are you hunting more efficient now are you trying has this changed your strategy of how you're approaching uh your season every year Man, I, I like to think so. I like to think it's more just from age and experience than it is, you know, having kids. I like to think we just get better at what we do right. the older we get. Sometimes I question that. But, yeah, I mean, I think, like, you know, for this year, you know, specifically having limited hunting time, like going into late October, like I focused, you know, a lot of my, like if I was going to try to, you know, leave work early and sneak an afternoon hunt in, I tried to make sure that the weather was right, you know, the cold front coming in or something was happening that I thought was going to be conducive to deer movement. It wasn't just arbitrarily like, yeah, I'm going to go hunting today. So, you know, and I tried to pick my spots a little bit more wisely as far as that goes. And obviously it didn't really, it didn't really pan out a hundred percent for me. I mean, although I did, you know, for any of the guys out there that maybe watch our show or watch some of the stuff we've done, I mean, I passed up a deer this year that would have been, my second biggest ever with, with archery equipment. And I let him walk cause he was a, a young deer. So, I mean, I had an opportunity to kill, you know, probably 150 to 155 inch buck and 12 yards. He walked right by me and I just filmed him. So, I mean, from that perspective, I felt like I had a pretty successful season, you know, even with, with not filling my buck tag. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's talk about that a little bit, you know, First off, what kind of property are you hunting? Um, is, are you hunting mostly public? Or are you hunting some private ground, some lease ground? Sure. Yeah, all my stuff's private here in Illinois that I'm hunting right now. Um, I have two different uh, farms that I hunt that I would consider like suburban, kind of close to home. The one where I pass this deer uh, is in uh, a bow-only county, so there is no gun season in that county. It's a private piece of property that I'm just – honestly just extremely fortunate that my dad was friends with some people and got us permission you know to hunt in there it's a very highly regulated type of thing um it's just me and my one buddy mike it's a big farm it's probably 600 acres that we hunt and we're the only two guys that are in there now it sounds awesome but i tell you what you know the habitat quality around here some of the sharpshooting that's been going on for cwd and just some of the other factors being in a suburban populated area it looks great from the outside, but once you get in there, it's not as, as good it would, as it would seem. I mean, I'm very fortunate to have the spot to go, um, but that particular deer, I passed him on that farm, okay. you know, because I basically figured, you know, if, if ever there was a, a farm where, a, you know, a young three-year-old with just mega potential was going to have the opportunity to, to blow up into something big, you know, this was going to be the farm. Right. You know, my other spot that I hunt, I share with a couple guys, we're surrounded by you know, guys that do shotgun hunt, um, there's just a lot more hunting pressure. So that farm, I mean, my, my standards are different there, you know, 150 inch three-year-old walks by me on that farm. I'm shooting them all day long because the chances of him living to next year are are pretty slim. So, you know, for me, it's all about, you know, you got to make the best of the situations that you're given. And then, you know, I usually do lease some property that's, you know, probably two hours 
uh, west of here, closer to the Iowa border. And that's usually where we have some of our better deer hunting uh, out there. So I have a small lease that I share with a couple of guys out there. Um, I'll probably be out there a couple of times this fall just to get out of the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I got some decent deer around here to, to chase, you know, nothing kills your your hunt, your, your, your spirit of the hunt more than sitting next to a four lane highway, watching, you know, traffic go by and horns <laughs> and people walking their dogs and kids playing in the yard. I mean, that, my one stand where I pass that deer out of, I mean, I can literally see a soccer field, you know, of a school and I can watch the kids practice soccer. <laughs> wow, so, nice. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's not the same experience. So, before the season, and you mentioned earlier, you know, you plant some food plots now. Um, how do you approach your season? Uh, do you put, to, you know, you're running trail cameras. Uh, you got some mineral stations out to uh, check inventory. Or are, are you, long story short, are you putting together a hit list before the season even starts of what deer you're going to chase? Or is it more of a, an age thing? Uh, man, it's probably a little bit of both. So in Illinois, we can't put minerals out, right? Otherwise we get in trouble oh, okay. for that. So most of our summertime cameras are going to be on like hay fields or bean fields, you know, which is great for getting photos. But the thing to think about is oftentimes those deers, the deer around here anyways, their summer patterns change so much to go find those bean fields because there's not as many of them as there used to be. Okay. So I get a bunch of deer showing up in the summertime that I will never see again once the velvet comes off. So, I mean, I try to put a hit list together, but I mean, I tell you, like last year we had a hit list together on, on my main big farm that I hunt and all my hit list deer literally disappeared, gone off the face of the earth, whether they got hit by cars, you know, killed by coyotes, got EHD. I mean, I have no idea, but I mean, the two or three bucks that I wanted to chase on this farm that were older class deer, they all just disappeared. Okay. So, I mean, you can have a hit list, but if the deer don't show up, it doesn't do you much good. Right. And then the other farm that we hunt here locally, we just picked that up. It's a, it's a lease, and we, were, we didn't get in there until July. And we had zero idea what type of deer were in there and what we were working with. So we threw some cameras out. You know, this first year of learning a new property is always such a pain in the butt because you go in these areas that you think are going to be good, and they ended up, you know, sucking, and you realize, oh, I needed to be 60 yards that way or 80 yards that way. So... I'm a lot more confident, I think, going into season two out there that we're going to have some better luck. Gotcha. Um, there's a couple couple good deer on the property. I feel like now that I was able to scout it post-season, get in there and see what the sign really looks like, I, I should hopefully have some, some better luck. Last year was all just, I could have killed, you know, 10 different year and a half holds yeah. that were running around the place, but I couldn't seem to find any of the bigger bucks. So gotcha. hopefully that changes this year. So... On this main farm where you ended up passing that uh, 153-year-old, have you, did you have time to evaluate that buck um, before you had the encounter with him? I mean, was it was it a, right. a split se- uh, second decision, or was it a, uh, I know this buck, I, he's getting the pass right off the bat? Right. It was definitely the latter. I think if it was a split-second decision, he's probably dead in most cases, you know. So uh, with this particular deer, you know, he showed up on the farm last year as a two-year-old. We started getting pictures of him during the summer, and he was probably going to be, you know, 130-inch deer. And we were like, man, this is – we thought he was a three-year-old at the time because they're just so hard to age on the hoof during during the summer. Yeah. And then once he shed his velvet and was really hitting the scrapes hard, like I kept looking at the videos and – pictures of him and my buddy that I hunt with Mike Willen him and I were like we kind of were talking one day and I was like man I just 
this deer looks like a giant two-year-old. Like he's just a really skinny neck, long legs, you know, even come, you know, mid-October and November, like he just never really filled out. And I'm like, man, I'm thinking he's just a giant two-year-old. And Mike's like, you know, I, I agree. So, uh, you know, going into this year with him as a three-year-old and, you know, knowing that him and I are the only two that bow hunt this farm, you know, we made an agreement between the two of us that we were going to pass that deer, you know, even before we knew what he was going to be, we just already had an agreement. And then of course he shows up in July and August and he's, he's a giant and we're like, you know what, what are you going to do? You know, he's the only, honestly, he's the only good three-year-old on the entire farm. So we were thinking, you know, if we shoot him, what are we going to hunt next year? So we had made an agreement to pass that deer. And honestly, the morning that he came in, like I, I heard that telltale, you know, walking of a buck, you just know, and it's just, just that straight line through the leaves, not stopping, just going like, here comes a buck. And I turned around over my shoulder and caught a glimpse of the brow tines. I knew immediately it was him. So I didn't even pick up my bow up off the hanger. I literally just grabbed my camera and freaking filmed them. He walked right by me, made two scrapes at like 12 yards and off he went. Was that so hard? It, you know, it really wasn't. It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be because knowing months ahead of time that I was going to pass him if given the opportunity made it a lot easier. You know, if I was undecided, that's when it's hard. You know, when you got your bow in your hand and that buck's coming in and you're like, should I shoot him? Should I not shoot him? Like, those are the ones that usually end up getting an arrow, <laughs> in my experience anyways. But knowing already, having been like mentally just okay with letting him go, it really wasn't that big of a deal. So in the past on that farm, what is the, and this is going to lead me to my next question, but what is the typical big buck that you're chasing on that particular farm? Sure. Yeah. That, you know, it's funny because this farm just doesn't have the tendency to grow giants like it did 15 years ago. Yeah. And there's a variety of different factors, but I mean, most of our bucks, if they get to four and five years old, are one forties you know, maybe 150 when they hit, you know, five and six years old, you know, and that's usually where they kind of top out. Um, so this deer is just abnormally big for this particular farm, at least from what we've seen over the last five or six years, uh, which is part of the reason that, you know, we elected to let him live too, because he was just had the genetic potential. There's other deer out there that I don't care if I let him go to six or seven years old, they're probably never going to be much bigger than 150. So this is what it is. So, was this conversation that you had, because uh, I've, I've never had to have a conversation with any hunter that I shared property with about what we're passing and what we're, you know, what we're going to shoot. Was that decision, sure. the, that decision to pass this buck that you, you know, the conversation you had with Mike, was it a unanimous decision or did, uh, you know, one of you guys lean a different way? No, I think it was unanimous. I mean, the cool thing about, you know, Mike and I and our hunting relationship, I mean, we've been friends since we were at seventh grade. Yeah. He's the best man at my wedding. I mean, we're very much on the same page as far as the caliber of deer we want to shoot. And, you know, both of us have been pretty successful. We managed to put some pretty decent bucks on our walls, you know, at the stage of our careers. I mean, no giants by any means, but, you know, a wall full of some pretty respectable deer. So we're at that point where it's like, we really want to start taking our, our hunting to the next level, yeah. you know, and unless you let that deer pass, you're just never going to get there. So it's nice to be on, you know, have that type of relationship. I mean, if I was hunting with a guy that maybe it's his second year deer hunting, I mean, I could, I couldn't tell him, Hey, you got to pass this 150, you yeah. know, cause that's just yeah. not going to happen. So, I mean, it's, it's a nice relationship and we're fortunate to really be on the same page in that regard. Gotcha. So, 
you know, you, you have multiple properties throughout, you know, the state of Illinois that you hunt. Um, how, how do you know throughout the year? I mean, cause they're all different locations, different driving times. How do you know where you're going to spend your time when it comes to, you know, taking off work? Sure. Uh, man, honestly, sometimes it's just a crapshoot to be honest with you. Sometimes I think a lot of us are like this. I don't even know until like the day of the hunt where the hell I'm going to go yeah. sit, <laughs> you know, because it's just you're playing a million scenarios inside of your head of where you should go and what you should do. And sometimes I've just, you know, flip a coin or just go wherever. I mean, I'll have my weekends that I plan to, you know, go spend out West and, you know, if a right. couple of my other buddies are going to be out there or whatever. But like here at home, you know, fortunately, because we're in a bow only County up until this past season, the entire state was closed for bow hunting when it was gun season. They've since changed that. And you can bow hunt during gun season now, provided you have a firearms tag. But my deal was like, I'd always leave my Lake County farm alone, you know, as much as I could until it came gun season. And then I'd go in there because I always saw really good late rut activity there, you know, November 15th through the 25th. So yeah, I'd hunt it earlier in the year, but I always knew like that was my back pocket. Like, okay, when it's gun season everywhere else, and the rest of the bow hunters have hung it up for the next couple of days. I can go to this farm over here. So I tend to kind of leave that one alone and maybe pressure some of my other farms earlier in the year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, nowadays it's just really about, like, where where is the deer that I want to try to kill? And that's the farm I'm going to go to. You know, this farm where I passed this deer, I passed them on, like, November 19th, I want to say it was. It was getting later in November. And the only reason I was even there was because usually that time of November we get a couple stragglers showing up from neighboring properties right. during that late rut period. So I went out there literally like, okay, maybe I'll have one of these bucks that I saw during the summer on these hay fields come back in here late rut and I'll get a shot at one of them um, because I knew there was no deer living on the farm that I wanted to shoot. But I figured, hey, what the heck, you know, it's worth a try going out there one morning, you know, and I had this deer walk by I me. Mean, he wasn't even the deer I was looking for. You know, and it, as it turns out, we never had any stragglers show up on our trail cameras at all this year for the first time in a couple of years. I mean, every deer we had on camera was deer that we knew were, were already there and were living on the farm. So did that make it tough to hunt going into uh, a piece of property, knowing that the information you were getting from your trail cameras wasn't, you know, that exciting? Sure. Yeah. It told me that there's no deer I wanted to shoot there. Yeah. yeah. It made it very hard. I mean, I only hunted that farm. I would say, three or four sits this year, maybe something like that. I mean, I didn't hunt it much. Um, I went there trying to shoot a doe earlier in the year. And then I went there like a couple times during the later stages of the rut, just kind of, again, hoping that, you know, and I sat the stands that were kind of around the, mostly the edge of the property thinking maybe we'd get something from one of the neighbors. And it was more or less just, I wanted to give my other farms a break, you know, because I'd been hunting them quite a bit. So yeah, it made it very difficult. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you. It made it very very tough, especially because there was a couple deer that, you know, we hunted pretty hard last year and weren't able to, to kill. And I know they made it through the hunting season because I got trail camera pictures of them. And then post hunting season, they literally just disappeared off the planet. So that, you know, we kept kind of like hoping maybe one of them was going to show up. Maybe he just summered somewhere else, but it just never happened. Did your uh, buck that you passed, do you know if he made it through or not? Yeah, he made it through. He was still holding his antlers as of a couple days ago. So it seems like with this uh, really easy winter we've had, a lot of the bucks are holding their racks maybe a little bit longer than usual. 
but I'm still seeing, you know, 50% of the deer I'm getting are still, still got antlers on. So another week or so we'll start uh, trying to find his sheds here pretty soon. Okay. All right. So my next question is in regards to some of this suburban uh, hunting that you do, is the deer movement on these suburban hunts versus, you know, when you hunt out on the Western side of the state in a more rural area, is the deer movement completely different or is there still kind of a last light movement, you know, or nocturnal movement for some of these bucks? Sure. Sure. You see, when it comes to suburban hunting, I've always felt like there's almost like two totally different types of suburban deer, right? You get the ones that live in these really heavily populated areas and basically are living in people's backyards. Yeah. Right. And those are the ones that, you know, people are like, Oh man, I, there's big bucks just standing all over the place. Like if anybody knows this area, like you drive through a place like Barrington and it's like giant houses, you know, big, you know, million dollar homes sitting on five and 10 acre wooded lots. And there's just deer like rats are everywhere. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I could just go in there and kill one of those deer. Like no problem. And then you get kind of into these other suburban areas, like where I'm at, where, I mean, I'm, I'm working, I'm hunting on a working, uh, dairy farm. So they've got a bunch of cows. I mean, they've got traffic, people coming in and out 24 seven. And, you know, there's a lot of activity from that regard, but it's not the guy out with his leaf blower, or the kids blowing, you know, playing with the leaves in the backyard. Yeah. You know, it's not like that. So when you're in the woods, I mean, these deer are every bit as skittish as, as the deer are out in, you know, the more rural areas. Um, and I think they're, they're even less likely to come out into open fields during daylight because there isn't a field around here that can't be seen from a road and there's thousands of cars driving by them every day. So, I mean, you get a decent sized buck out in a field somewhere guaranteed somebody's pulling over to look at it, you know, without question. So, I mean, we don't kill many of our deer in open fields around here at all. They just don't want to go out into them until, until dark. So the movement is definitely different from that regard. And then it's just, it's different because they're dealing with pressure constantly from all, areas i mean we get people trespassing kids coming through playing paintball or guys just randomly i don't know bird watching i've had i've busted so many people trespassing a guy in a dune buggy one time a guy riding a horse randomly through the middle of the woods one time that didn't belong there i mean i've had so many different weird encounters with people while i'm out there that just affects deer movement yeah you know so yeah it can be difficult to plan for for sure (laughs) so in the country where kind of where I hunt, uh, everybody knows the property lines of everybody, right? It's, it's for the most sure. part, it's all, it's all local landowners. Um, there's no really any absentee landowners, but everybody knows where the property lines are. Now, when you get into a scenario like what you were saying, where you're running into people trespassing on all, all the time, are, is it just, it's not like they're purposely trespassing or is it, they just think that anybody can walk anywhere. Go anywhere. Yeah. Sure. It's it's usually the latter. It's usually just, I'll give you an example. I went out, not this last weekend, but the weekend before when it was really warm out. Me, Mike and I went and looked for sheds for a little while. We got in the truck, went to leave. I take a turn on the road and there's some kid, I don't know, 14, 15 years old on an ATV out in the middle of one of the fields, uh, hay field, just doing donuts. Yeah. <laughs> like it's going out of style, you know? So I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, I go chase him down and uh, I stop him and I'm like, what are you doing, man? You got permission to be out here? And he's like, no, I need permission. I'm like, yeah, you're <laughs> trespassing. He's like, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't realize, 
you know, they just see an open field or a piece of woods and they just go, Yeah. you know, and they, they just have no, no concept of, of property rights unless there's an actual, you know, house and they're walking in the front yard. But if it's just an open field or a piece of woods, man, it's fair game. Right. You know, especially when it comes to looking for sheds around here. My gosh, it's insane. I mean, the shed poaching that goes on around here is just crazy. Every year we'll have trail cameras that come up missing or SD cards are gone out of cameras and you go out to look for sheds and there's just footprints, you know, yeah. on every field edge of guys walking. So, I don't know. It's a crazy world we're living in. So, I always see these guys who live in Chicago. And I say Chicago. And when I say Chicago, sure. just like, okay, so I went... I, uh, I had friends, they went to the University of Iowa. And whenever you ask someone from Illinois where they're from, they always said Chicago, right? No matter where right. they actually lived, eh, we're from Chicago. They could have lived like we're, uh, Huntley or Des Plaines or, or sure. Schaumburg or whatever. Everybody says they're from Chicago. And, um, but you got guys who they live in, in this area and they're pulling up these sheds of these gigantic bucks um, or they they got some, some video of some of these giant whitetails. Talk to us a little bit about the, is, is there like no go land where you cannot hunt like forestry preserves or, oh, or yeah, s- something sure, like that? Sure. Yeah. We're like the king of forest preserves around here, especially a lot of those deer you're seeing are coming out of Cook County. So Cook County is actually where Chicago proper is at you know, and then just outside of the city. So we've got, you know, like Cook County Forest Preserves, there's, you know, thousands of acres of forest preserves that are 100% off limits to hunting. A lot of them you can't even walk in legally, yeah. you know, and you get these guys that go in. I mean, these, these are deer that have never seen a hunter in their lives. And, yeah, I mean, they're pulling, you know, 200-class sheds out of out of these places every year. So most of them are in forest preserve. You know, Lake County's got a lot. You know, McHenry County, where I live, they actually allow hunting in some of their preserves. They've got a, a special draw uh, program where you can go hunt in some of those places and they kill some pretty good deer out of them every year. But yeah, most of that stuff you're seeing are, are guys in cook County. Gotcha. I think a lot of your, your listeners probably saw the video of that giant. It was like a 220, 230 inch non-typical that this guy took with his cell phone. And it was just, the deer was just eating like on the side of the road. It was on yeah. like deer and deer hunting's Facebook page. That was a cook County forest reserve. That deer is living in like an literally an 80 acre little chunk of woods that's surrounded on all four sides by industry and houses. He's got nowhere to go. It's 80 acres in the, in a sea of, you know, developed everything. And uh, it actually got so bad last year, people were going in there and harassing that deer waiting for his sheds to fall off that the DNR, like they were running the deer out of there and the deer were running across the roads in front of cars. And it was, there was like teams of guys that were watching this deer like 24 seven, like sleeping in their cars and going out and trying to look for these sheds. So the DNR or the Cook County Forces Reserve went in and tranquilized that deer, uh, and they were going to saw his antlers off. And they tranquilized him. They grabbed his rack and they just popped right off because he was ready to shed anyways. Oh. But they did that specifically to keep all the freaking crazy shed hunters out of there. I mean, it's it's nuts, dude. It's completely crazy. So they I take it the people are going in there not necessarily to say. Hey, this is an awesome, you know, mother nature is awesome. I have these awesome sheds. Are they looking to then sell those sheds basically for oh, profit? Oh, heck yeah, dude. Oh yeah. I mean, that set of 230 inch sheds is worth a couple thousand bucks yeah. to these guys. I mean, you see a couple thousand dollars walking on a deer's head, you know, it's going to fall off. It's hard to keep people out of there. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy around here. So coming from a, 
area where, you know, when I think of Chicago, the first, like I think of liberals, right? So <laughs> do, you, do you ever have to, do you ever run in to, with people while you're out hunting on some of these suburban areas that are like, oh, you hunt or hunting is bad, or uh, I guess, is there, is there a lot of antis out there? I'm sure there are. I can't say that there's any that I've ever run into, you know, where we live. So I live in Algonquin, our office is in Huntley. Like we're, we're pretty far on like the West and Northwest kind of fringe of the suburbs. Right. So, I mean, you get West of where we're at and it's pretty much all rural country, you know, lands. So it's not so bad. I mean, there's, you know, every high school kid around here has got a jacked up truck with a bone collector sticker in the back window. So, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, super crazy, but yeah, you get east of here, you know, it definitely gets a little bit more liberal, but McHenry County where, where I live and where our office is, that was the only taller County around Chicago that voted for Trump. Everyone else voted for Clinton. So I live in the best County, at least around here anyways. Right. Right. All right. So, you know, taking a step out of Illinois for a while. And is it a completely different approach from, you know, some of the sub um, suburban hunting. And then, you know, like you said, on the West side of the state, you have some more of your typical farmland ground that you, that you lease. Sure. Then jumping down into Kansas is the strategy different going after some of these deer is, Talk to us a little bit about the jump because I don't. I guess I don't know where you hunt in Kansas, but I'm assuming. Uh, dude, I've never been to. Can- I've never stepped foot in the state in my life. So uh, in two or three, when I, whenever, maybe it's a month when their turkey season opens, I'm going out there with a buddy of mine, and we're going to scout and try to shoot a couple turkeys while we're there, and kind of just get the lay okay. of the land, okay, and figure out what we're looking at, and then we're not coming back till October to try to shoot something. So I have zero idea. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought Kansas for you was a yearly thing. No, I mean, honestly, I don't really hunt out of Illinois too gotcha. often. You know, I do Wisconsin, you know, every couple of years, just cause it's a relatively inexpensive tag and it's over the counter and it's close. Um, but that's it. I think, I don't know that I've hunted whitetails anywhere outside of, I guess, I mean, I technically hunted whitetails in, in Wyoming for a couple of evenings, on a you know alfalfa field where you see 120 deer out yeah. in the field and it looks like a real tree video, but I mean that's not like real hunting right. to me. So yeah, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. Okay, so just like me, or I shouldn't say just like me, but like right now in my life, I you know I still focus on the white tails, but I have this kind of itch to go out West as much as possible while I still am in good enough health to do it. And, you know, I'm not, my life isn't so crazy busy. I noticed you went out for a mule deer hunt in Wyoming. When was that? Two years ago? Uh, yeah, so 2015, I went out and did that hunt. Gotcha. So what was the, what drove you to jump out West? Well, I had been out there, uh, I went out in 2010 on an antelope hunt uh, with Todd Graff, and we both shot antelope, and I just, you know, loved it out there. I went back in 2011 to Colorado on kind of a DIY public land elk hunt with a couple of my buddies. Had a blast, didn't kill any elk, but just had a great time, and I'd always wanted to get back out west, but I personally knew that I didn't know jack squat about yeah. mule deer hunting out west, so you know, I'm very fortunate through just the connections that we've made and the friends that I've made over the years of doing this. You know, this is 
going on my 13th year now of being involved with some sort of hunting industry thing that, you know, one of our pro staff guys that films for our show, Dustin DeCrew owns an outfitting business out there, uh, Bighorn Outfitters. So I went out with him. I went with him more as a friend, right. Than like an actual going to an outfitter because Dustin and I have been friends for a decade now. And I was like, Hey dude, I want to come, you know, go on a mule deer hunt. He's like, come out with me and I'll, I'll show you how to do it. I'm like, okay. You know, I got an airplane I flew to Wyoming and he picked me up and, showed me the ropes. And what I would say the biggest benefit that I got out of that hunt was just the learning curve for me was so steeply sped up on going on a hunt with somebody that could show me what the hell I was looking for or what I was supposed to be doing. Like I feel now, even after having spent five days trudging around in 98 degree heat, looking for a mule deer to shoot, like I feel like I could go out there and probably be fairly successful maybe not as successful, you know, I'd probably have to work for it, but I like, I feel like I know what I'm looking for. I know where to go. I know how to do it. You know, we were fortunate enough. I think it was my fourth day or maybe even my fifth day. You know, we shot a great buck. Um, it was like a freaking six hour stalk. I was dying of heat exhaustion by the time we <laughs> got this thing, but uh, man, it was a blast. It was an awesome time. And I just love going out West. I mean, I know yeah. hunting up in the mountains is different than where we were at, but just the sheer amount of game animals that you see out there is just to a guy, even from Illinois here, it's just flat out astounding. I mean, I'll see more, you'll see more animals driving from point A, the lodge to point B where you're going to hunt than I will see in three seasons yeah. of hunting whitetails in Illinois. I mean, it's just incredible. So when you got out there, uh, let's talk about that antelope hunt uh, for first. Yep. Was that, were you intimidated at all by, you know, going out and hunting a species that you've never hunted before? Not really. I mean, the antelope hunt was a blast, but I mean, it was the typical, you know, ground blind over a water hole type of deal. Right. And I literally, I mean, we showed up in Wyoming the night before the next morning we got our tags, dropped me off. I was actually with Dustin at the time. Uh, he filmed me. We got in the blind. We sat there for three and a half hours, and animal came in and I shot it at 15 yards. <laughs> you know, I just mean, like that. don't get me wrong; it was a blast, but it's like I don't know. I just wasn't the same type of experience that I was looking for on my second trip out there. I wanted to do more of the spot and stalk deal. I wanted to feel like I was actually doing something. Yeah. <laughs> so I will say I was a lot more intimidated intimidated by the mule deer thing than I was by the antelope thing for sure. I mean, when Dustin was like, let's get out the spotting soap and try to find one of these things and go track it down and, you know, kill it. I was like, okay, where do we start? Right. So, you know, for this new, you know, this new adventure for the, you know, the spot and stalking for mule deers and coming from a guy who is used to sitting in a, in a tree stand type setting, was there a lot of glass time? Or were you on the move more for this mule deer? Oh, God. It was just glassing and glassing and glassing until your eyes want to bleed. Yeah. You know, basically. Because, I mean, at least when I was there, it was, like, ridiculously hot. I mean, we started hunting September 1st, and it was in the 90s without a without a cloud in the sky for four days straight. Right. So what was happening was, you know, these antelope would – or not antelope, mule deer, they'd feed at night. You'd get up in the morning. It'd be nice and cool. And you basically had an hour. You needed to find a mule deer in the first hour before that sun came up because after that they were gone, bedded down, in the shade, disappeared. Good luck finding them. 
Right. You know, so the first, and then what was happening is they weren't getting up on their feet until the sun went down below the horizon, at which point you didn't have enough time to put a stalk on one before dark. Okay. So what we did is the first, the first two days we killed ourselves trying to, to get one of these antelope or mule deer. And by the, like the third day we did mule deer in the morning. And then we were like, you know what, let's go hunt whitetails this afternoon. Cause your tag is good for either a whitetail or a mule deer. Gotcha. And Dustin had some awesome whitetail spots, you know, spoon river, freaking alfalfa fields. I mean, deer as far as your eye can see, it was amazing. We would literally put a hay bale blind on a trailer drove the trailer into the middle of the field, spooked a hundred deer off the field, dropped the trailer, drove the truck back to the road, walked into the blind, got in the blind. And within 15 minutes, the deer were starting to filter back in the field. I mean, it was it's just incredible. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Right. Right. So back to this, this mule deer hunt, were you, were you hunting all day long or, you know, you mentioned the first all day, all day. All, all right. Day, dude. So you yeah. were, you were bouncing around from ridgetop to ridge or, you know, glassing point to glassing point glass for however yep. long. So yep. when you, did you have any failed stocks before you end like oh, real, yeah. real stocks? Oh yeah. We yeah. had four or five okay. failed stocks before uh, this one, you know, my very first day we got there, my freaking baggage got held up. Uh, I had shipped my bow out earlier, so luckily I had my bow, but all my clothes and my boots and everything got held up, and it was going to be a day late, so I borrowed a bunch of Dustin's crap that didn't fit in the most uncomfortable damn boots I ever wore in my life, and <laughs> here we are out, you know, stalking mule deer, and we stalked up on this one buck. He was a nice deer. He was bedded down, and we probably got to about 50 yards, and we, I stood up, and I came to full draw, but he was just pretty severely quartered away from me you know, bedded down and it was a pretty like Wyoming. It's just always windy, yeah. you know, and it was a pretty, pretty brisk frost wind. And I just couldn't get my pin steadied on him. And I just had like horrible visions of shooting him in the butt or in the neck yeah. or something. I'm like, you know what? It's my first day, first stalk. You know, he ended up getting up and running away. And then I would say every day we'd have probably two or three good stalks every day. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, we got super close to some of the animals. Some of them we got up to and decided maybe it wasn't the quality of a deer we wanted to shoot size-wise. Or sometimes they move. They get down these cuts, and they move before you get to them because it takes so long to get there. And then you get out there, and you're like, okay, this damn thing moved. Now we got to try to find where it went and not spook it in the process. Okay. So it's, uh, it's an interesting – I mean, one time we got so darn close to the deer, but it was down over this little cut, and all I could see was its rack sticking up. I couldn't shoot it. You know, and I was 15 feet from the thing. But, you know, as soon as it realized we were there, it jumped up, ran off, and never stopped and gave us a shot. Right. So, luckily, the, the deer I ended up shooting, he was bedded down. Like I said, it was finally a cooler morning. He, he was up feeding for a while. We watched him drop into this cut, and then we had to, you know, make a couple shifts with the wind and go up and around type of deal. But finally, we caught him bedded down, and I was able to get a, about a 48, I think, yard shot at him. And, uh, man, it was freaking awesome. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. So was, was this particular buck that, that you, you shot, uh, was he with any other deer? I mean, did you, did you see any bit? Cause I have these dreams, right. Of these mule deers that th- these mule deer that you see on, you know, Instagram or on, 
uh, <laughs> on calendars. You know what I mean? These gigantic, crazy looking, like that's Photoshopped, right? Did you see anything right. like that? We didn't. No. I mean, there's certain areas in Wyoming that have those caliber of mule deer and yeah. where Dustin's at just isn't one of them. Gotcha. You know, the deer I ended up shooting was 161 inches, uh, which is a great mule deer. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was one of the bigger ones we saw that week. You know, but their average mule deer that he kills is probably like 140 to 150. Okay. And they'll get maybe some 170s and 180s every year, like a handful of them. Um, but they just don't get those 220, 230 inch, like just ridiculous things yeah. you see coming out of like Utah and some of those places where they kill the megas. Like there's a few places in Wyoming that have those, those caliber of animals, but those are some pretty pricey outfitted hunts to get into those areas. Right. And uh, it was a little bit more than I could afford. That's for sure. So now that you've, you know, successfully done a spot and stock hunt for, for this mule deer, do you see yourself continually, you know, you're going to start making more trips out West? I think so for sure. Yeah. Um, so this year, my, my deal that I kind of have with my wife is I kind of get like one trip a year yeah. type of thing. Like I can't go too crazy. So this year I'm trying the, the Kansas thing. And then the following year I should have enough points to draw an elk tag for Dustin's area in Wyoming. Okay. Uh, he's up in the big, he's in the Bighorn mountains is where they guide for elk. Okay. Um, they've got a pretty awesome, like after I shot my mule deer, uh, I had another day or two before I went home. So I helped him get a bunch of supplies kind of up to their camp. They had elk hunters coming in to start elk hunting. And I mean, it was the whole wall tents and horses. And, you know, we drove up into the freaking mountains and, you know, brought a bunch of supplies in. And I was like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do for my next elk hunt. So yeah, it's just, it takes like four or five preference points to to draw for his area. So I got three or four now. So another year or two, I'm going to do that. And then, I'm really going to try to do a moose hunt here. I think hopefully before I'm 40, do a, do a moose hunt somewhere. So that's kind of my, my plan for, I guess it'd be like 2019, something like that. You looking to go to Alaska or somewhere in the lower 48? I, I want to do an Alaska. I want to do Alaska. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I grew I grew up, you know, I grew up in a bow hunting family or really my dad specifically owned an archery shop when I was like a kid and I, that's all I did was I just spent my life at the archery shop when I wasn't at school. And my dad used to moose hunt uh, a lot in Ontario. So growing up, I moose hunted with my dad every year for probably six or seven years straight, probably from like 12 till I was about 18. I went with him every year moose hunting in Ontario. I, I filmed him shoot a couple moose. I saw him shoot a couple moose and was with some of his buddies, you know, getting their moose out. So, you know, I've had a, a pretty decent amount of moose hunting experience in my younger ages and i think it kind of like it quenched my thirst for maybe wanting to go back to ontario i feel like i've even though i didn't personally shoot one like i've done that trip a yeah. bunch of times like i really want to do that alaska trip nice. so uh my buddy scott i think you know scott bakken that works over at hha yep. sports he's doing a he's doing a diy alaska you know get dropped on a freaking float plane and go down a you know on a raft on a river for like 10 days he's doing that this fall so he's going to kind of report back on how it was, do's and don'ts type of thing. And then uh, me and actually Dustin and my other buddy are going to try to plan uh, a moose hunt for 2019, kind of based off of what Scott tells us, <laughs> if and when he returns from his trip this year. For sure. Man, that's, uh, yeah, I, I definitely am putting together a bucket list that, you know, before I, before I kick it, I want to accomplish all these things, you know, mule deer, elk, antelope, 
caribou moose you know all the all that stuff yep yeah i'm kind of just like one at a time yeah you know right. trying to do them trying to, to do those things so yeah i got kansas and hopefully wyoming elk hopefully alaska moose if i can swing it and make everything happen and then after that i'll, I'll start worrying about whatever's next i don't want to get too far ahead of myself i have a, a plan to kill an illinois whitetail this year hopefully at least have a, some good hunts and have fun in kansas if we kill something that's a bonus and then we'll worry about everything else after that do you know how much time you're going to dedicate to your kansas trip i'm thinking we're going to make two trips out we're going to make probably like a four-day weekend like in late october and then we're going to make another one probably in like mid-november mid right. to late november it seems like kansas always every year you know just from social media and everything i see it seems like a lot of guys do really good out there like 18th 19th 20th of november like around that time frame so i think when illinois firearms season starts here um instead of sticking at home and bow hunting we're going to go back to kansas for three or four days and uh and bow hunt so that's kind of the plan i mean two two four-day trips will give me eight days to hunt and hopefully i see something worthwhile i got a couple of friends of mine that have done this trip a few times and they were kind enough to point me to some of the areas that they've had pretty good luck in over the years yeah. to help again kind of just speed up that that learning curve so we're just going to go check them out for ourselves try to shoot a couple turkeys in the face here in a couple <laughs> weeks and uh see what happens well good luck man my I t- like you said my my uncle he lives down in uh, southeastern kansas and uh he always tells me the same thing he's like i because he hunted in Iowa a long, a long time, and he feels that the rut is like four, five, six days later there, the the peak he feels than uh, sure. than Iowa. So, and I'd say Iowa yeah, is right around the I, same time as you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're not all that far from where we're at. So, I don't know, man. Well, if it works out, it works out. If not, I mean, I'm going with one of my good friends, and we're gonna have fun and hunt, and maybe drink a couple beers at night, and just try to enjoy some hunting, right. you know, sometimes with what we do with filming our hunts and blogs and all this stuff, you know, as well as anybody it can take some of the enjoyment out of it yep. every once in a while. Fact. I mean, it can become a, a grind. So we're just trying to get back to our roots and go have fun, you know, try Amen. out some different public spots and hang and hunt and do all that fun stuff that I just don't do enough anymore. Right. Well, Mr. Czar, man, I appreciate you taking time to uh, come BS with me, man. No problem, dude. I had to get on the podcast. I heard my buddy Cody Altizer. I listened to his the other day. Yep. And uh, I was like, Cody's on? I got to get on the <laughs> podcast one of these days. Cody, it's funny. He gave us a little shout out. He started his internship here at the office with us. Yeah. You know, gosh, going back like seven years ago. And Cody's about as good of a dude as you could ever hope to meet in your life. So right. I really enjoyed listening, listening to that and listening to you guys BS for a while. Well, I tell you what, good luck in Illinois and and good luck in Kansas this year, man. Thanks, buddy. Good luck in Iowa. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Justin for coming on the podcast today and BSing with us for a while. Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Ripcord, Deer Lab, Exodus. Uh, Be sure to check out those uh, partners' websites and take a look at their products. All kick-ass products. Also, be sure to check me out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Leave a review on iTunes. And last of all, but not least of all, thanks to each and every one of you for taking time to download this podcast. I appreciate it 
very much. And if you're moving tree stands around today, or you're going to climb a tree, or whatever, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good day.